Welcome to the Table Leadership Podcast, where everyone is invited to pull up a seat, and all leaders have a voice to contribute to the conversation. We're glad you could join us today. And now, your host, Sian Edgerton. making sure that there's nothing on this end that that happens. Okay, so we're going to do this again, take two. (laughs) Um, I just want to welcome everyone uh, who's listening today. I am so excited to get to share my good friend's voice with you today. And let me tell you, um, and, and no joke, that I absolutely believe that she has something incredibly valuable to bring to the table because this is take two of our attempts to get this recorded. Our first try last week, something went crazy wrong. Zoom is still trying to figure out what happened with the recording. Anyways, we basically lost the entire thing. And we were just sitting here talking about how there is um, her experience, you know, has been that there's just a war around her voice and her story. And that, you know, this uh, has actually something similar, you know, has happened before when she's gone to speak. And so I'm just confident that that just means that we're supposed to be having this conversation today. And we are going to make sure that, that this gets to our listeners. So um, with all that being said, I just want to thank and like super extra thank my good friend Cynthia for being here today a second time so that we can get this figured out. Cynthia, welcome. Thanks, Zion. I appreciate getting to be here again in your space with you and um, looking forward to where this conversation goes today. Yeah, me too. Me too. I know that there's good quality stuff that that we're going to talk about. And I just love your heart and your story and and just your resilience, the resilience factor of being able to say, hey, okay, I will come back. I will give more of my time and we will try this again. Um, And so it's it is going to work today. Um, So some of the stuff that we talked about last week, you know, I'm so bummed that we lost that conversation, but I'm just going to say that, you know, that was for me and my benefit because I, I got so much out of it. And so now we just get to share those things uh, with the rest of the audience. So um, let's, let's start off like I always do um, by asking if we were not social distancing and we were gathered around the table right now to invest and pour into people. Um, what would you be feeding us? And now I'm really curious to hear if your answer today is the same as it was <laughs> last week. <laughs> it is the same because I have a two-track mind. So the first course um, would be a charcuterie board, a lovely charcuterie board with cheeses and grapes and veggies and dips and good glasses of wine and breads and it would just be a massive charcuterie board and then the second serving um whatever you call that second course would be indian food which would be chicken masala and some homemade naan bread uh, along with some mango lassies for dessert and so those would be my two food love languages charcuterie boards and indian food Yum. And I told you last week, charcuterie is my love language. So you basically like anything you're ever doing, I will be there because if there's going to be charcuterie, (laughs) I will be there. Um, Out of curiosity, if somebody wanted to kind of like try their hand at Indian food, what is a really kind of good but simple like first recipe to try? 
Yeah, I would say chicken makani, which is also known as buttered chicken, or chicken tikka masala. Either one of those two would be very um, basic meals and naan. Like everyone's always like, wait, you cook your own naan? I'm like, it's really not that hard. There's a little trick to it to getting it to puff up and um, how thin you make it when you're rolling out the dough. But really, it's pretty simple. Um, And then one of my secrets, I'll share a little secret here about Indian food. And um, you always double the seasonings for the recipes. So keep all the rest of the recipe the same, but you put in double the cumin, double the coriander, double the cardamom, and so on. And that like just adds the flavor. And so that's just something I've picked up along the way from someone else. And so it, it helps make it really tasteful. Okay. Awesome. That's good to know. I did not know that. Um, have you ever heard of bunny chow? No. It's this um, really interesting, like, Indian-South African fusion thing. It's super popular in Durban um, in South Africa, which has, like, a, a very large Indian population. And it's, like, it's super – it's kind of like their fast food. When we went over there to visit my family, this is what everybody gets. Like, if you're just out running around and you need to stop and grab something real quick, you go and you get bunny chow. And it's, like, um, it does not have bunny in it. But there's a whole bunch of different versions. Um, some of them have chicken, you know, some of them have, they have different types of meat, or you can do a vegetarian one, which is lentil based, but it's, it's like this stew and it's super flavorful, like very full of flavor, lots of curry. And then they, um, they make these big like bread bowls and they, you know, pull the bread out and like dump the stew, this thick stew into it. And like you just eat it right out of the bread bowl. And it's so good. I made some recently. Although that was like Indian South African fusion. So I still, I still need to try my hand at like legit Indian. So I'm excited. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. I can send you some recipes if you'd like. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I'll always try (laughs) new recipes. Okay. So uh, now that we're all good and hungry, um, let's talk about what it is that you bring to the leadership table. And there were three specific things that you had mentioned to me. um, And they were, well, I'll let you say them because I want to make sure I don't get it wrong. But there was three specific things that you said you felt like you brought to the leadership table. What were those? Yeah. um, Resilience, curiosity, and a passion for story work. Okay. Awesome. Um, and so we're going to talk about all three of those, but speaking of story, let's hear a little bit about yours. Just, uh, you know, introduce us who, who you are, where you are, what you do, um, a little bit about your own background and story. Yeah. So I actually am a transracial adoptee, meaning I was adopted from India and into a home of, a. Uh, family that didn't share the same ethnicity and my town didn't share the same ethnicity either. Um, I was the only Indian girl growing up in my little white town. And um, yeah, I grew up in Wisconsin, have lived in the Midwest for a majority of my life. And currently I serve with crew, a college ministry at the University of Minnesota Twin Cities. And I get to mentor our students, lead Bible studies, um, and then on the side, within crew, I serve with the Lenses Institute. And so I get to help people uh, walk through racial reconciliation, help them see, understand, and act toward biblical oneness and pursuing that. And that is a true joy. Like, I love getting to do this work. And I think, like, in the last 
probably a couple of years, I've just seen the Lord really grow my own understanding and my own ethnic background. And so my passion for being a bridge um, between majority, ethnic minority cultures, like I think that there's just a growing passion of where God's landing me to do this work. And then I also, through the lens of my story of being adopted, I also get to serve, like I have a Bible study currently on campus that has uh, like six or seven transracial adoptee girls, college students, never in a million years would I have thought to be able to get to do that. But that's just another area that God is having that's birthed out of my own story. Um, And so that's a little bit about like what I love and get to do for a job on the side. Like I'm a nature lover. I love uh, going to coffee shops with friends. And like I said earlier, like love making charcuterie boards or um, just love food in general. And so, (laughs) yeah. Awesome. Um, Can you talk, because I know one of the things that we, so we had recorded a part one and then we planned to do a part two anyways, because we just knew that there was more to talk about. Now we're just going to do it all at once because technology um, (laughs) and the devil is a lie. So can you talk a little bit about, um, you've mentioned not only your, your ethnic journey and really understanding your ethnic identity, but also the adoption factor and just kind of what a significant part of your story this has been and, and how your voice in those spaces gets used. Can you just share a little bit about the significance of those things and what that has kind of meant for your overall journey? Yeah. When I talk about adoption and being adopted, I have to name that there is an honor and a joy, but there's also a grief and a loss, a real grief and loss within being adopted. There is loss that I had no choice of since the first day when I was in India, day one, and there's loss of um, a family for sure in my life. And then there's this other piece of adoption that I've come to understand through my relationship with Jesus, which is getting to understand more of like, we're all like, as followers of Christ, we have been adopted into God's family and through have a spiritual adoption. And so it's given me a more concrete picture of what that actually means and what that looks like. And um, yeah, I feel like there's like a deeper understanding of adoption that I have that comes with and through my story. Mm-hmm. And I think also the, <laughs> The uniqueness of being adopted, uh, there's many, many people who are adopted, but I think in terms of being a transracial adoptee, of being a person of color, my story of understanding my own ethnic background didn't begin until about four or five years ago. Like I was adopted, like I said, into a home that was white, into a town that was white. and um, And no one talked about India or about my brown skin or about being um, an Asian American. No one talked about those things. And if people did address anything in that area, it was done with a lens of racism, of harm, of wounding, and of shame. Those would be the things that were named. And so in the last five years, I've been on a journey of seeing God uncover, shine light on the true parts of like where I come from and um, growing understanding of how does my ethnicity um, bring beauty to this earth? Like how is it represented by God? And so 
um, yeah, it's been an ongoing journey for sure. And it's, um, it's a, it's a, it's a lot to navigate being adopted because it's not, I, I didn't know a lot of people who were adopted growing up. And so I didn't have language to put to things until the last handful of years when I started meeting others who have been adopted through social media platforms and so on. And even that, like one of my good friends, Courtney and I felt like we need to continue to use our voice in adoption. She's domestically adopted. So we actually founded a social media platform called the adoption triad and it's on Facebook and it gives voice to all three parts of the adoption triad. So the birth parents to the adoptive parents and the adoptees, all voices matter. And so often we only hear from one voice or one lens, but it gives us an opportunity to hear from each other's sides, hear each other's stories, and then also be a resource to each other to care for one another. And so that's been something that's been birthed out of um, discovering more of who I am and where I come from. That's so good. And I mean, our stories are obviously super different and there's so many other factors that, um, you know, kind of increased your experience, but I never told you this, um, or I haven't told you yet, but my dad legally adopted me. I don't know my biological father. Um, and when I was young, my parents uh, got married and he legally adopted me. Um, and that has been probably for the past maybe 10 years or so, same thing, a huge part of my story and of my journey and of appreciating him and doing my own kind of searching and, you know, discovering and figuring out like what empty places did I feel like I had and what was God trying to do there? Um, and, and even just, you know, like you talked about, even just my own identity and understanding my identity as a child of God, understanding this greater family that we've been adopted into. There's so many key points of that particular journey. And I use them repeatedly over and over again. You know, I'm constantly preaching about that and using it as a sermon illustration because, you know, God has absolutely used that part of my story to reveal so much of his love and his goodness to me through that story of my dad adopting me. And so, you know, on a a lesser degree, a lesser level, obviously you have so many other factors that you are contending with, but, um, but I hear your heart in that. And I think it's a beautiful part of the story for, for us to explore. Mm -hmm. Thanks for sharing that. I did not know that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I preach about it sometimes, but it, you know, it's not like I, I super advertise it or anything. Um, but yeah, it, it's been a huge, huge part of my journey and, you know, there's lots of layers to it. Um, but there's just been so much healing and goodness that, that God has brought through it. So it's, it's really cool. Um, and so I want to talk to you about the three things that you said that you feel like you bring to the table. And so we'll just kind of unpack them one at a time. The first one that you talked about was resilience. And I think this was probably the conversation that, you know, we had last week that I got so much out of because in our culture, Western culture tends to be very like, you know, just power through and, you know, put your big girl panties on and deal with it and get through it. But, but that's not true strength and resilience. Um, and so talk to us a little bit about what you mean by resilience. How do you define that? And then what does that look like for us in, in our life and leadership in a healthy way? Yeah. So I have 
I feel like I've never had an opportunity to not be resilient. Like I've never had the luxury of not walking in resilience. As I shared earlier, being adopted from India, like I've always had, there's always been adversity throughout my whole story. And so um, I think resilience has been in, inside of me for a long time. And I used to think, so a couple of things. One is whenever I'd meet like a new spiritual guide, mentor, um, a counselor, someone, they'd always say, wow, you are so resilient. And that was like usually one of the first things they'd say after they'd hear my story, because my story does have a bit of brokenness and a uh-huh. bit of trauma in it. Um, but and I'd always think, yeah, like that was always the word that I would hear over and over. And so I used to think like resilience was the like it could only happen after you've gone through something really hard. Uh-huh. But in the last year, I've gained a new understanding that resilience can be built up and prepare you for something in the future rather than just having you've come out of something. Mm-hmm. And so I actually enrolled in a course um, and I just finished with it at the Allender Center in Seattle. And it was called the Resilient Leader Project um, Certificate Program. And it was amazing. I learned so much about what it means to be resilient personally, how resilience has played a role in my story and how, um, as a leader, what does it mean to be a resilient leader when you're leading other people and being mm-hmm. trusted in people's lives. And so through that program, I feel like I've walked away understanding more of like, who are the people that have helped me be resilient? What has the context been of my own story of where resilience has come into play? Um, and uh, I mean, there's so many things. Um, I walked away from this program with a new definition that I'd love to share with you about yes. what resilience is. This is my own definition based on what I've learned. And to me, resilience is the increased capacity to walk forward after a pause while caring for yourself, following loss, brokenness, and adversity. It is tending to the disruption with rest and nourishment in the context of relationships. And yes, I say that because that's a post-traumatic, uh, post-adversity time period, even though previously I said it, it also can be about something beforehand. I think the key here is rest and nourishment. Mm-hmm. After brokenness, whether you're a leader or not, you need rest and nourishment. And before you go into something, you need to have a rhythm of rest and nourishment in order to push through. And so I think that's something like they have this analogy at the Resilient Leaders Project where you're lifting weights and it's good when you're lifting weights because you want to have that muscle growth and you want to like you're tearing muscle as you're lifting weights. But if you don't take a pause for a few days in between, um, just doing some hand, uh, what do you call those? Barbells? Wait. Dumbbells. 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 So it's obvious how much strength training I do. Like, yes. you know, they're dumbbells, right? I don't know. Yes, I don't know. Those things. <laughs> Big heavy pieces of metal. Yes, yes. <laughs> if you don't take a break with those, you will cause damage and injury. And your capacity, your muscle capacity won't grow. 
Same with when you go through a experience of brokenness, fragmentation, loss. If you don't stop and take a pause and find rest and nourishment in the context of relationship, everything's mm-hmm. about relationship. You're you're not going to increase your ability for resilience and moving forward, you will burn out and you will bottom out. And I think too many leaders don't know about rest and nourishment because like kind of what you said too, we're in a westernized culture, like do more, be more, all of these. And I think like leadership can't be based off of that because that's not serving ourselves, nor is it really serving the context of where we're leading in a helpful manner. Yeah. And it feels, I think so often it feels counterintuitive, you know, well, we've got so much that we're doing and we're leaders and we're going to continue to push forward and, you know, power through and stopping feels really counterproductive and <laughs> counterintuitive when we have this idea of leader. I think that's part of the problem too, is how we define leadership. And if we're defining leadership as constantly pushing something forward, that never gives us the space and the permission to stop and rest. Like you said, even when we've gone through through adversity or loss or a difficult situation. And so part of how we even define leadership, I think, needs to change. Uh, You know, leadership, I mean, in theory, it needs to be holistic. Leadership really needs to be more about what we're doing for ourselves as leaders so that we can not only push forward, but also at Joe Saxton says this all the time, retreat to advance, that we have to retreat in order to advance. And those moments of retreat are so key in building. And I think that's the other thing too, that I'm thinking as you're talking is resilience is not just something we're born with. You know, it's not like a personality trait that you either have or you don't have. We can grow our resilience. We can strengthen our resilience. And so talk a little bit more about that um, and what a season of rest and nourishment and nurturing really looks like? What What is it and what is it not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to dial back on something you said as well yeah. about being a leader. When I think about being a leader, I think about someone who stewards their influence for others, mm-hmm. for a mm-hmm. greater story, for a greater good. And so I want to be aware of my influence. Am I influencing perhaps the student and staff that I get to lead to be people who just work, work, work. No, I do not want that. And that's not my desire. And that doesn't work. That's not what God wants. Right. I would rather help them be, I want to use my influence to show, you know what? Sundia can take a rest. Sundia can enjoy play and enjoy life and um, is fun. And I want them to see like, like you said too, like the holisticness, not just one sense of getting a job done or a task because nobody's signing up for that. As for the question about, uh, you asked about growing resilience or like what, like what does rest look like for me or? Yeah. What, what is it and what isn't it? Cause I think even when we're stopping, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're engaging in something that is nourishing and nurturing and healing us from the inside out. And so it's not just that we pause, but it's what do we do with that pause? Yeah. So when I first think about pausing, I immediately think of sitting on a couch and binge watching Netflix or something. Right. <laughs> I think like sometimes I think a lot of my life, like, I mean, Netflix has not been around my whole life, but I think I used to think, 
as long as you're not working and you're doing something, then you're fine because then you can call that rest. But I think then we numb out and we lose ourselves. And I think rest is actually coming back to the heart of who we are and getting closer to the heart of like what's going on inside of us. That's what rest is. Rest is not checking out because Mm -hmm. I, I think that there's been a theme in my life of like, well, I don't want to push into something hard. I don't want to have to do really hard work. So I'm going to check out. Um, and I have come to learn that it's more about checking in, like checking in with our heart. Where are we at? And so, um, I'm about to approach a sabbatical coming up in the next week here for about a month. And I have been thinking and processing, like, what does checking in look like for me? And I know that checking in is being outside, being in nature, going hiking, um, like, like being with people who are life-giving, cooking really good food, um, nourishing the senses that I have, um, that God's given me to delight in his creation and the goodness that he's prepared before me. And so I think that there's a difference there. And I think, yes, rest also can look like napping in my hammock for a couple hours. That is legit. Okay. But if it's not serving a purpose and really bringing true rest, I would question, is this just numbing out and is this just checking out because when you check back in you're not actually going to be refreshed you're going to feel probably even more lethargic and more out of it Mm -hmm. yeah that's good that's good I think we have to be so intentional to examine what we're doing in our pauses um and and like you said not just checking out but actually we're the intentions that we check in with ourselves, that we check in with that question of, Hey, how's your soul? And let's deal with that a little bit. So that's really good. Um, and so the second thing that you talk about, um, so there's resilience and then you talked about curiosity and this one, this one I really love because I think this is just, Oh, this is so foundational. So talk to me about when you say you bring curiosity to the table, what do you mean by that? And what does it look like? Yes. So ever since I was a little girl, I've always been filled with inquisitiveness. Like I've always asked a lot of questions. I sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, my poor teachers. I asked a bajillion questions and not just questions about like homework, just like how the world work or how people work. I just have always had a mind that's been wondering. And I think that that's a gift. I would call that very sweet that I've noticed. And I have had the opportunity, me and some of my friends from high school, from growing up, we've had opportunities to reconnect and rekindle our relationships. And some of the questions we've asked each other is like, what do you remember about each of us from our childhood? And it's been a fun question because we get to share like, you remember this and you were like this. And across the board, people have said like, you were always curious. You always ask questions. And I think there's probably borderline where I got too many questions because <laughs> people were just like, stop. But I think that for leadership, it's important to continue to ask questions, to be curious um, about people, about people's stories, about uh, where the ministry has been, where the where it's going. I think leadership, I think curiosity keeps us learning and keeps us in a plat in a spot where we're um, where the world still is bigger. There's still more to discover. Yeah. I never want to get to a point where I feel like I've figured it out or I have it together where I feel like, okay, mm-hmm. like I have no more learning. There's a sign 
at the University of Minnesota in one of the public buildings. And it's a neon, bright, like neon uh, lighting, actually. And it says, today we are all students. And I love that sign mm-hmm. because I want to, I want to walk past that sign every day and be reminded that I am still a student, a student of my own story, a student of the world, a student of nature, a student of creation. And I think curiosity also um, is a good way to deflect things. Like I think it can deflect anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the things I learned in the Resilient Leaders Project about uh, being a leader is a resilient leader is that when anxiety comes up, it is one thing to walk away and like, or run away actually, and be like, I don't want to deal with it. It's a whole nother thing to actually lean into the anxiety and be curious about it. Mm-hmm. And I had never thought about it like this. And so let's just say there's some conflict on a team or in a relationship, instead of being afraid of the anxiety and fleeing from it, and ignoring it, what would it look like to actually lean into it and become curious and say, where have I tasted this anxiety before? Why does this feel familiar? What about the anxiety feels too big for me to carry? Where can this anxiety lead me closer to God's heart? And so that can actually like uh, diminish the feeling, the weight of anxiety when you actually engage in, in, and maybe even think, this anxiety is here. What might God be inviting me to in the midst of it that I wouldn't have been invited into without it? Yeah, that's good. And what really stands out to me, a couple different things is that, um, again, like with the resilience thing, it can feel so counterintuitive because, well, as a leader, I'm supposed to be leading people forward and I need to know the answers and have it all figured out. But but really, we're just the ones as leaders setting the example, like, hey, let's all walk together into curiosity. Let me lead you, not because I have all the answers or because I have it figured out or because I've got it right. Let me lead you because I have influence, like you said, over your life. And, and let's all walk together into curiosity. And I think the other thing, too, that stands out to me is how critical it is for us to um, maintain a posture of humility and curiosity automatically puts us in a place of humility to ask the questions, to be the student, to say, hey, I don't know it all. I don't have it all figured out. There are other ways to do it than my own. And I want to learn about those. I want to ask you a question about that. It immediately postures us in a place of humility, which I think is so critical for us as leaders. And the other thing that really stands out, too, is um, how important it is, because it basically it's, it's the opposite of judgment. And it's so easy to judge, to judge someone's story, to judge the way they're doing something. Obviously, there's a ton of you know judgment, even in the church world, you know, unfortunately. Um, and I feel like the opposite of judgment is curiosity. I want to learn. I want to ask questions. I want to know about your story. I want to know about your reality. I want to know about your perspective. Instead of jumping to conclusions, let me just be really, really curious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I can, the, it's coming to my mind here as I'm sitting with college students who are sharing uh, broken, vulnerable pieces of their journeys with me mm-hmm. and things that they are still walking through the shame of in their own journeys. It is, I have seen curiosity 
we use to help them dismantle the shame, dismantle the the fear of them sharing really hard things, where if they do share something, I become curious, like, how did that make you feel when that happened? Or can you tell me more about the first time that happened? Or where 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 did that leave you when you went to that thing outside of God? And I think sometimes they're caught off guard because they're waiting for me to say something like judgmental or to ask accusatory questions mm-hmm. versus curious questions. And I I won't take credit for this. This is just something that I've learned from other leaders in my life um, in how to ask good questions and be curious rather than pose judgment. And so I a skill a trait that I've picked up from other people of how to engage that in the ministry context. Yeah, that's so important. And I want at the very beginning of um, our podcast season back in January, we had Pastor Steph uh, O'Brien on and she talked about her book that at that time was you know new just coming out. But that's one that I would just put out there to anybody who wants to engage more with this idea of curiosity, because I think part of it, too, is, you know, so often we're fed stuff and we just kind of take it and swallow it without actually questioning it. I think there's a lot in our belief system and in our faith, there's systemic stuff. I mean, in our history, things that we're just told and we take it at face value and there's not enough questions being asked, you know, well, wait, is that really how it happened? Is that really what God says? Is that really what the Bible means about that? Um, and so in her book, she talks so much about that process of dismantling and deconstructing things. Um, it's called Stay Curious. And so I would just put that out there to anybody listening who feels like, yeah, I want to engage more with this idea of curiosity. Um, I would absolutely recommend that book, Stay Curious. So the third thing that you said you brought to the table is... Um, the, the power of story and storytelling and engaging with your story. So talk a little bit about that and just the value of that for us, um, just in our lives in general to engage with the power of story. Yeah, I am compelled by story. Like I love hearing people's stories, little stories or their life stories. I just love it. I think some of my favorite memories are when me and my friends recap Uh, moments or stories that bring so much laughter of past trips we've taken or even foolish things we've all done. And we're just found laughing and enjoying the humor of, of what it is. And I also love that all of our stories fit into a bigger narrative Mm -hmm. um, God's story. And like, there's so much purpose and kindness and goodness there. And I was introduced to story work, um, in the last couple of years here. And I learned about it through um, the Dan Allender Center, um, through the Allender Center, I should say. And they talk a lot about how to engage our story and re-narrate our story. And stories tell us a lot about who we are today and where we've been, how we've gotten to here, and where are we going. And we all have one. But I think sometimes when we encounter brokenness, we encounter um, roadblocks or um, or whatever it is, I think sometimes we can shut down our own story and we can we can close out pieces of it and then that leads to us being stuck or kind of like missing out on being alive in what mm-hmm. our story actually brings us. 
And in the last year, I've read through Parker Palmer's book, Let Your Life Speak. And there's a lot about story in that book and about coming alive to how God has written things into you. And I did a story intensive last year. And then I walked through something else called the story workshop through the Yonder Center. Mm-hmm. And both places have taught me to look for where is God at work? Where has God's glory been written into my journey? And where also is the enemy seeking to steal, kill, and destroy? And when I become curious about my own story and I look back and I invite people in with me, I have seen God transform pieces of it. I've seen healing happen. And I've even myself come more alive to places that I didn't even know were dead in me. And that is a passion that I carry that I want to continue to do in the lives of people who are around me. And um, I just love it. You know, and what stands out to me is how valuable that is for every single one of us individually. I can't tell you how many people I have talked to and, you know, and I that's something that I, I often start when uh, I'm making a new friendship. Oh, tell me your story. I want to hear your story. And I can tell you how many times I'm met with the response of, oh, I don't really have a story. I mean, you know, I just just kind of basic, normal, you know, boring life. And we have this idea that, you know, in order to have a story, that it has to be this big, you know, dramatic, huge thing. And it's, you know, and, and there's power in our stories, our everyday, day-to-day routine story. There's no such thing as someone who doesn't have a story. There's no such thing as a boring story. There's no such thing as a meaningless story. And to say that I don't have a story is basically saying, mm, God's not really at work in my life. Yes. And when I, so when I hear that, this is where I go. Cause I have heard that whenever I share my story, if people share after me, they're like, well, my story's not like hers. And I'm like, mm-hmm. no, but you have a story. And I have a couple thoughts about that actually is one, it makes me curious. Were you to ask someone who says, I don't have a story or my story's not that big. It makes me wonder who has not delighted in them and in their story that should have for the sake of them not seeing the life and the goodness that's already written into them. How are they not attuned to seeing that? And what did they miss out on and someone not sharing those things with them growing up? That's what makes me curious. Another thing is like when people are like, well, I don't have this big cliff of a story. No, you might not. But I also think that God shows up in the little as much as he shows up in the big. And I remember telling a friend this, um, in college, because she felt like, you know, she had come to know the Lord as a little girl. She hasn't really had any big faith moving, rocking, um, uh, yeah, waves in her story. Mm-hmm. And I said to her, maybe God doesn't need something really big and enormous and um, hard to show how much he loves you and delights in you. Maybe he just loves and delights in you without having to have you all through something really, really hard. Like God's goodness is just good. He doesn't need something bad to show that he is good. Mm-hmm. And it helped her see like, yeah, her life has been good. And yes, there has been hard things, but just not really earth shattering traumatic things. But there's been such delight and good in her story. And it was, I think it just needed to be seen and named and celebrated so that she could see, wow, like God has really um, given her a gift of, of protection and refuge. Yeah. 
That's good. And so if somebody wanted to engage with their story more and get more in tune with it, like you said, and to really kind of start exploring, gosh, what is beautiful and majestic about my story? What are the key moments? What matters? Where has God been at work? Uh, How would you advise them to kind of start that journey? Yeah, well, I would say, first of all, like, Telling story in the context of relationship is super important. Mm-hmm. And that's where healing shows up. Like what um, I just put this quote on Instagram yesterday. I think it's maybe from Brene Brown, but it's what's broken in relationship can only be healed in relationship. Sure. The power of relationships, of the attunement, curiosity, the invitation, that is significant. And that's with people, but also with the Lord as well. And so the author of our story. And so I would say a couple places that they could check out. One, check out the Allender Center Story Workshop. That They host them um, virtually, I think now, and they host them at a couple different locations. And that is a great three-day place to engage your story to learn more about what's going on there. The teaching is awesome. And if you want to take it even a step further and engage with a professional, um, maybe in like an intensive environment, I would say check out Restoration Counseling in mm-hmm. Colorado. Um, that is a great place. They they talk story, they know story, and they have lots of people who are willing to engage and help. Um, yeah. And be invited into your journey to help see where is God showing up and where are the places that you might be stuck that you might need um, just a companion to walk with you? Yeah, that's great. Thank you for those recommendations. Um, and so as we're wrapping up, we talked about so much today, you know, your story and, and so many aspects of it that are just so beautiful and critical and um, influential. And then, of course, the idea of resilience and curiosity and story. And so with all of this considered, if there was one final um, piece of encouragement or advice, you know, one last little prophetic word, I guess, uh, for those that are listening, what, what is the last thing that you would like to say? Yeah, that I would say that everybody's, every one of your stories matter. Like Mm -hmm. there, there is purpose, there is goodness. And when we approach our stories with a sense of relation, with a sense of kindness in the context of relationship, we can see God's glory revealed. And I think when light comes into those dark places, we come alive and then we can live the lives that God really intended for us to live. And so as much as like, I'm still on a journey of what it means to push into the dark places it is worth inviting someone into the dark places of our story for the sake of getting unstuck because God has way more for us than we could even imagine. And he wants us to engage in that, but it will be kindness and it will take curiosity and it will be all in the context of relationship. And it is so worth it. Like I, I can't even, I could tell you for hours how, how glorious it really is when you do those things and how much more you can have out of life when, when you go there. And so that's what I would leave for you. That's so good. Well, you have just shared so much with us today. I mean, your own heart and your own story and just your, your willingness and your authenticity to open that up 
to all of us. We just, we hold that very dearly. Um, so thank you so much for making space for us and just your wisdom too, for sharing your wisdom. There's so much that you've shared with us today that I think is absolutely critical. And I hope that there are pieces of invitation and also challenge that our listeners will get out of this. And, and so again, Sandia, it was just such an honor to have you on. And we finally got everything figured out. And, and I know that you said there's a war around your voice, but um, I hope that this is one battle that your voice got to win because it is so needed and necessary. And thank you for sharing that. Thanks, Sion. I appreciate it. Love being here with you. Thanks for listening to the Table Leadership Podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to the resources that were discussed at the table today and to connect with today's guest. Remember to subscribe to The Table Podcast and follow along on social media at The Table Leadership. Visit thetableleadership.com to learn more about current courses and coaching opportunities. And finally, you can connect with me, your host, at cionedgerton.com or on social media at cionedgerton. I look forward to the next time that you pull up a seat at The Table.